look this morning at some benefits of salvation. Aren't you glad that we have the privilege and the joy of being able to be saved? And uh, what a joy that is, what an excitement that is, what a thrill that is. And if you're saved this morning, then you know the joy of salvation. Let me just say, if you're not saved this morning, uh, sometimes the world around us makes it out as though, uh, and just the everyday world that we live in makes it out as though becoming a Christian or being saved uh, is some kind of a bad thing, and it means that uh, you give up all of your ability to be an individual, and you just have to go to church all the time and never get to have any fun. Now, I'm glad I can have fun at church. But I'm also glad we don't stop being individuals. Rather, we become a family of very different people who are serving God together. Amen? And uh, actually, you find that in Christ, there is great unity in the church and salvation, uh, but there is also great uh, dynamic of difference, and God is the one who created that in us. He certainly doesn't want to take us away, and we need that diversity uh, that is there. We praise the Lord for that. And uh, so if you think, man, being saved, man, that must be like the most boring. You give up all of your ability to do anything fun. Uh, I've said this many times, even if being saved had nothing to do with eternity, if no matter what I did, I could not change my eternal destination, I would still rather live this life as a Christian because there's nothing better in all the world. And so uh, this morning, I want to look at why is that? What are the benefits of salvation? What, why is it that being saved is so exciting and so thrilling? And what are the things, the actual practical things, uh, Dr. Getch told us in our uh, class learning to preach, don't ever use the word things, but it's a multiple of things, so I can't come up with another word. But uh, uh, what are the actual graspable realities, there we go, uh, that we can hold to and say, this is why it's such a benefit, it's such a joy to know Christ as our Savior. I want to give you some of those this morning here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and beginning in verse number 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Father, I pray that you'd give exactly what we need today. I pray for that heart that is hurting this morning. Would you give the encouragement that is needed? Perhaps those who are discouraged, those who are going through uh, just a despondent time, would you help us to recognize the joy and the excitement of being saved? And then, Lord, would you help us uh, that we might never come to the place of just uh, taking for granted our salvation? It's so easy to do. But help us today to really give thought 
and uh, awareness to the realities and the excitement, the joy of knowing you as our Savior. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I wonder when was the last time that you really thought, how, uh, thought through how thankful that you are to be saved? I think probably all of us this morning that know Christ as our Savior would say, I'm thankful that I'm saved. I'm thankful I'm going to heaven. I'm thankful for the relationship with uh, the Lord. I'm thankful for all these things. And, and we could probably go on for uh, the rest of the service. In fact, undoubtedly, we could go the rest of the service just going around and saying things that we are thankful for that would relate to salvation. But when was the last time that you actually just stopped and started thinking through those things? And really just dwelling on those things? You know, I found sometimes the Christian life, we get so busy doing and we get so busy serving and we get so busy with all the stuff we have going on that sometimes we forget to just slow down and stop and really just start saying, let me just think through how great Jesus is. Let me think through how good he is and how wonderful salvation is and not just say I'm thankful for it because I am, but think through why am I thankful for it. What are the things that God has done in salvation? What are the reasons that I'm thankful? Albert Einstein was traveling from Princeton on a train. And as he was traveling on that train, the conductor came down through and he was punching the tickets. And uh, he got to the seat where Albert Einstein was and uh, he stood there for a moment and Dr. Einstein reached into the pocket and he didn't feel it. He reached in his other pocket, didn't feel it. He stood up and reached into his trouser pants pocket, still did not find his ticket. He was looking here and looking there. He looked on the seat beside him and finally that conductor said, Mr. Einstein, he said, it's, it's not a problem. You've lost your ticket. I'm sure that you paid. Uh, we all know you around here. You're on this train quite often. He said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. Everything is fine. And so he uh, continued along the way. He finished punching all the tickets in that car. And as he was about to move to the next car, he began to open the door of the one. And as he uh, was going through that process, turned and out of the corner of his eye, he caught movement. And he looked back to see Dr. Einstein now closing his briefcase, getting down on his hands and knees, and began looking underneath the seat for his ticket. The man came back again hurriedly. He said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We know who you are. And he looked up and he said, young man, I too know who I am. What I do not know is where I am going. <laughs> he needed that ticket, amen? Amen. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's uh, enough, in fact, all the time, really, but it's enough to just know where I'm going for all of eternity. Aren't you glad we know where we're going? But sometimes we need to stop in the midst of life and go beyond and think greater of what are these elements and areas of the Christian life far beyond just knowing where we are going. I'm glad we know who we are in Christ. I'm glad we know where we're going in Christ but we'll move past that just a little today. Uh, notice four incredible blessings, if you will, that we receive when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior in this passage this morning. First of all, I see a provision in Christ. A provision in Christ. The Bible tells us in verse number 2, that we are elect, we talked about it some last week, selected uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I see here, first of all, the first provision in Christ is we are provided with a family. 
We are provided a family. Isn't it exciting that we are not uh, just simply given an eternal destination, but we get to become a part of a family that God has chosen us and that He wants us to be in the very family of God. Uh, we're given the family that gathers together, and this is who uh, this is being written to. It's being written to Christians who are scattered abroad, but so part of that family. And we know a family that is designed to gather in a local church so that we might worship and God together so that we can worship our Father who is the one who is the Father of that family we get to be a part of. We gather in the local church for fellowship. We gather for instruction. We gather for service that we might serve the Lord through the church. And, and as we gather, we get to be a church family. And praise the Lord for that. That's a thrilling thing. Amen? And uh, so we get to be a family. But then not only a family, but we get to have a future. Oh, I'm glad we have a future, aren't you? We've talked about it a little bit, and I am glad it goes beyond. But look what it says here in verse number 3. It says, Blessed be, God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I see here, first of all, um, why it is that we can have this future. The Bible tells us that God is blessed. This word would be a little bit different of a word uh, to use. It's used a few times in the New Testament. Uh, but it's not the word blessed. It is a different word. It's the word blessed. And the word blessed, it literally means praiseworthy. That we have a God. A God our Father, He is praiseworthy. He is worthy of us stopping and worshiping Him. Worship means to ascribe worth to. And it's worthy of our time to stop and just in our mind and even with our voice to ascribe worth to our God, to tell Him how great that He is, to tell Him why we're so thankful for salvation, uh, just to stop and dwell on the wonders of what it is to be saved and that we get to spend eternity with Him and we get to be a part of His family. I mean, we just get to stop and dwell on these things. We're ascribing worth to our Father. Oh, what a great joy to ascribe worth to Him. Uh, we see the word blessed. That's the why. We can count on a future uh, that is, is secure because of who God is. Because He is the one who secures. He is the one who has committed. But not only the why, we see the how. And that is abundant mercy. We uh, allow, are allowed to have a future with Him, not just a future in heaven, but a future of having relationship to our Father. And we have that wonderful, wonderful future, and we have it by His abundant mercy. Aren't you glad that God is filled with mercy? Aren't you glad that His mercy does not have a limit? I don't know about you, I might have a guess, but I don't know about you. I do know about me. If God's mercy had a limit, I would have passed it. Amen? And probably you know the same about yourself. And it doesn't matter how big the limit is. I would have gotten there already uh, in just the few years that I've had because the, the truth is every day I fail so often. And every week I have so many failures, so much uh, that I don't do that I should or that I do that I know I should not. And, and we fail so often and we, it seems as though we're constantly coming back to the Lord and, and begging for forgiveness. And the reality is every time we know that we can be restored to fellowship with Him. Because when we confess our sins, He's faithful. Isn't it amazing? And just. Yeah. It's not just that He will. He is doing it. It's right for Him to. That justice, the requirements of justice are fulfilled when He forgives because of the cross. The punishment's already been there. 
And, and so he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. But it doesn't stop there and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Now we're back in full fellowship with him. What a joy. You know, it's not just that someday I will see him. It's that today I can fellowship with him. So are you fellowshipping with the Father on a daily basis? To do that requires cleanliness. It requires uh, keeping that sin account short. But oh, I'm, I'm glad that when we come back time after time after time after time, we find that He still has an abundant mercy. He's still the word mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He could say, no, 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 my justice now declares that I bring down the law and that I uh, hammer this and that I deal with you and that I separate you from myself. But his mercy is so abundant, he just keeps forgiving. He keeps not giving the judgment we deserve, but allowing it to have been applied to Christ on the cross, and he just keeps offering that forgiveness. What a joy. The question is, are we taking advantage of it not is it available. And so he says, come. Uh, you can come and be forgiven. You can come and be right. You can fellowship with me regularly. So we look at the future, not just of going to heaven, but we look at the future. Eternal life began the day that you received Christ as your Savior. I'm already living an eternal life. It's not that this life ends and a new one begins when I go to heaven. No, no, no. It ended. That old life ended the day I got saved and a new one began then. Now, one day it'll translate. I won't be living it here. I'll be living it there. But that's all that changes. So eternal life has already begun. That means fellowship with the Father is, can be just as real and just as sweet now because He speaks to me through His Word and I speak to Him through prayer. It's a two-way conversation. I can converse with Him just as real now. And we can have fellowship with Him just as real now. Though now it's by faith instead of by sight. I'm looking forward to when it's by sight. I, I look forward to going to heaven. I don't really want to leave on the train going tonight, but I look forward to going to heaven. Amen? <laughs> but the reality of it is, now we can enjoy that fellowship. Now we can be thoroughly right with Him. Now we can know the reality of His presence. Why do we have this for our future and why does this even apply to now? It's because God is blessed. He is worthy of our praise. It's because uh, He has an abundant mercy and He continually forgives and continually allows us to be back in right fellowship with Him. So now what is it that we actually have? We know that someday we'll see Him. We know that today we can fellowship with Him. But it goes even deeper. So what is it that we actually have in Christ right now? Notice what it says here. Uh, verse number uh, 3 still. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according, here it is, to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again, and here's what He's begotten us again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first thing He promises here, and He says we have now, is a lively hope. Aren't you glad it's not a dead hope? We were over in Sri Lanka a few years ago and uh, visiting a missionary there. And it was a, an exciting time and being able to see the ministries and the work and all the things that God was doing. And then uh, we went past uh, uh, an area there and they said that uh, in this area, and it's known really all, all through that Middle East area, um, or all up into the Middle East and down through uh, much of Asia, they said people will travel to this area uh, specifically to go and bathe in the river there and, uh, and specifically in this spot. And they said at that time every year it's just flooded with people trying to get into the river because apparently at one time Buddha bathed in the river there, they think. And they want to come and bathe 
in those same waters. I said, did anybody tell them it's flowing? <laughs> those waters are gone. Uh, but the reality is they come to that spot because they think that maybe if they can bathe in the exact same water that Buddha did, somehow it might help them. You know, there's a hope there, but it's a dead hope. It's a hope that is relying in somebody who's lying in the, their bones are lying in a grave. They, are, uh, they were there at one time, but now they've died. And it was somebody who did not even know Christ as their Savior. It's just a false religion. It's just a dead hope. You know, there's many even in our nation that they have a hope, and they're hoping in some religion or some action or something to take them to heaven. I was out one day, I knocked on a door, and I asked a man, do you know for sure if you died that you'd go to heaven? He said, I do. I said, great, that's wonderful, I'm so glad to hear that. Could I ask you what you base that on or how you know? And he said, of course, I am an American. I said, okay, so am I. <laughs> what else do you base it on? He said, well, I was born in this country, I'm born an American. And I think God just loves America, so that should be enough. And he really wasn't open to any other thought or any other idea. And, and you know, he was believing in something that while he may believe it now, one day when he stands before the Savior, if that's still his hope, he'll find it's a dead hope. Oh, there's so many around us that have odd ideas or so many that are caught up in a religion that tells them if you'll keep all this religious rigmarole, then you can be good enough. And, and I talk to people all the time. They'll say, I go to the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church or the Lutheran Church or whatever it is. And, and I almost always will say to them, that's wonderful. And we'd love for you to come to our church. But more than coming to our church is going to heaven. Do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? And almost invariably they'll say, well, I sure hope so. They have a dead hope. There's no confidence. There's no liveliness to it. It's just, well, I, I hope I've done enough. And, and really their hope is in themselves, their own labor, their own work, their own effort. Aren't you glad that's not our hope this morning? Aren't you glad we're not gathering so that we can say, well, if we do enough good things and if we work hard enough and if we uh, go through enough uh, catechisms and if we go through enough programs and if we do enough th areas and, and if we, we sacrifice enough and, and uh, there's another part of Sri Lanka where they'll uh, do these parades and they'll have self-mutilation and, and if we beat ourselves and hate ourselves enough, then maybe God will be happy. Aren't you glad we can come and say, oh, I'm so unworthy. Somebody asked me one day, they said, what about you? Do you know for sure? I said, I do. They said, that's the most prideful statement I've ever heard. And I said, I'll be honest with you. If I was telling you I know that because I'm good, you would be exactly right. But it has nothing to do with my goodness. It has everything to do with Jesus and his perfection. And he's placed me in his righteousness. Aren't you glad we have a lively hope? Because it's not based on us, and it's not based on our church, and it's not based on anything we think or believe or do. It's based on the work of Christ on the cross, and it's based on the fact of his blood being applied to our account. And as soon as his blood is applied to our account, that he takes our old rags of sin and places us positionally in his righteousness. And now we can stand before the Savior just as perfect, just as pure, just as righteous, just as holy in the eyes of God as Jesus himself, Oh, we are such failures and such sinners. What a truth. We have a lively hope. It's not about me. It's about him. 
So I don't gather, and we don't gather in a church service to say, let's do this and let's do that. There may be some uh, things we do to please Him, but not let's do this so that we can have a relationship. It really is we gather to say, hey, blessed be God. He is worthy of all the praise, and He is the one who's high and lifted up. And it's really not about a preacher, and it's not really about a church, and it's not really about a congregation. It's really about a magnificent Savior. He is our lively hope. Oh, I'm glad we have a lively hope. It's not a dead hope, but it is a hope that is in Christ and his righteousness. But then it gets even better. Look what it says, verse number four. So we've got this lively hope, and it's given by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The end of verse three. Now verse four goes further to an inheritance. So we get a hope, and then we get an inheritance. Isn't that incredible? That God would place us in his family and then say to us, you get to be co-inheritors with my only begotten son, Jesus. What a truth. We're co-inheritors with him. We're co-laborers in this life with him. But when we get to heaven, we become co-inheritors with him. And we are begotten to an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. There's no failure in it. There's no sin in it. There's nothing defiling in it. It's, a, it's an inheritance that will not fade away. Man, I'd like to get one of those. Amen? I mean, it'd be wonderful to be given an inheritance that you can't just waste it all. It'll never fade away. It's an internal inheritance. Uh, he says then, it's an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. Isn't it amazing that God is in heaven? And when we get there, he's going to say, oh, by the way, this is the inheritance that, I've ha- that I have reserved for you. I've been just saving it up, been storing it, been waiting on you to get here because I haven't been able to wait to give you this eternal inheritance. He has an inheritance. And, and I believe that he's more excited in some senses about us getting to heaven than we are. Because he looks forward to that relationship. He created us for that relationship. And he wants that relationship with us certainly now, but but certainly for eternity. And so we become co-inheritors with Christ in the eternal kingdom of God. This is an exciting thing. And we're only a couple verses in. So we see here the provision in Christ. We get a family. We get a future. We have this lively hope, this inheritance. It's all part of it. And so I'm thankful, first of all, for the provisions in Christ. And then secondly, uh, we see the protection in Christ. We're given provision in Christ. God provides some things, but also when we receive Christ as our Savior, there is protection in Christ. Verse number five says, who are kept... By the power of God. Uh, We see here that we are kept through faith. The power of God through faith. Uh, We are kept through faith. The word kept means to be guarded, secured, or kept under watch. So God is keeping us under his watch. He is looking over us. He is caring for us. He is paying attention to uh, us. He is making sure that we are guarded. uh, And we can trust that God is the one who secures us. So he is uh, looking, he's caring, but certainly we put that in an eternal perspective. He's the one who's keeping, he's the one who's securing our eternity, our inheritance, but also eternal life. So eternal life is not secured by anything that we do or don't do. Eternal life is secured by the fact of once we place our faith in Christ, aren't you glad that once we have it, we can never lose it? 
uh, that we receive Christ as our Savior, and then it's not based on us to keep it. He's the one who keeps it. We are kept by Him. Not only are we kept through faith, but then it tells us here, we are kept forever. This is an eternal situation. Uh, We are kept forever. Notice what it says at the end of the verse. Ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're not just kept for now, we're kept for eternity. We're not just kept for the moment, we're going to be revealed in the last time. And and so we see here, this is an eternal situation. God does not merely offer salvation and security for time, but for eternity. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad we can't mess it up? Because honestly, if we could mess it up, we all would. Because we're a mess, amen? And all we really are are at different stages of mess. I mean, sometimes somebody comes into church and they look around and they say, oh, there's all these people that really know what they're doing. Oh, they're just a little further along in messiness. It's really all it is. Amen? They've learned how to hide the mess a little better when they come to church. And in reality, we're all just at different levels of messy. Because here we're all sinners. We all not only have a sin nature, but we choose sin. And and, and we do things that we know we shouldn't do. And there's things we know we ought to be doing. I mean, sometimes we know we ought to be kind to that person. We just didn't feel like it in the moment. Or whatever it might be. And, and, And we don't do things we know we should. We do things we know we shouldn't. And then even to the people that we love the most. I mean, I'm sure this week there's not anybody who said a harsh word to their spouse in the room. Sometimes the people we love the most and that we're the most familiar with are the ones that we end up saying the harshest things to. And he said, why do we do that? I mean, I love them. Why do I say those things? How does this happen? It's because we're a mess. It's because as long as we're in this life, we're not going to have it all figured out. Oh, we're growing. We should be changing. But in reality, it leaves us in a place where there's not anybody who can look around and say, oh, I don't know what's wrong with that person. You know, the more mature of a Christian we come, uh, it doesn't allow us to look around and say, oh, that person has a long ways to go. Actually, it allows us to say, why don't I have more figured out? Theirs might be more outward and mine's more inward now. And we figure out how to get some of the outward stuff fixed because we know we're supposed to look better. But our heart level is still such a mess. Aren't you glad it's not dependent on us? We're kept because of that faith, but we're also kept to be revealed in the last time. God says it's not dependent on what you do and how good you are and how much you figure out and how good you look to everybody in church. I'm glad that church is not designed to be a museum for the saints. It's designed to be a hospital for souls. Amen? Amen. Because if all it was was a museum for saints, we'd get real good at walking around and looking good. The truth is, if it's a hospital for souls, we can be transparent and say... I don't have it figured out. And in reality, I'm a long ways from having it figured out. And it's a good thing my salvation doesn't rely on me, or I'd mess it up so bad that I wouldn't have it at all. And Jesus steps in and says, no, no, no. It's not reliant on you. It's reliant on me. I am the one who secures your salvation. We're kept through faith. We're kept forever. And then we're kept with fervency, with excitement. Look at verse number six. Wherein ye greatly 
rejoice. Oh, there's great rejoicing because of Jesus. There's great rejoicing because of our salvation. There's great rejoicing because of the fact that we are kept for all of eternity. And the fact that we know that our eternal life is secured allows us to be able to have great rejoicing and great thrill. And we're excited. And how can we not go through this life excited as a Christian? Because I know that I have a relationship with God. And I know that I'm going to heaven forever. And I know these things, not based on me, but based on the promise of God. And so we see here uh, that there is protection in Christ. We see the provision in Christ. We see the protection in Christ. Number three, we see the problems that come. Kind of where the rubber meets the road for this passage. Most passages have that spot, amen? Peter is writing, and he's writing to some people that are under some persecution. They're going through trials and tribulations. And he's writing to them, and he's saying, hey, there's an eternity you can be excited about. And look at these provisions that you have in Christ. And look at this protection that there is in Christ. And there's an element of these people's mind, he understands, that when they read this in a church setting, that they're going to say, wait a minute. You're telling me about all these provisions. And you're telling me about all this protection. But our family just got kicked out of our house. And our father is in jail. And our mother has been uh, treated harshly by the soldiers. And, and as children, we're bruised and beaten from it. And now we're sitting here with some other Christians who have had to flee their homelands. Where's this protection? Where's this provision? I thought God was so great, and it all sounds good when you write it, Peter. <laughs> but we're not experiencing it. So Peter, where is it? So now he knows who he's writing to. So he reminds them. He's encouraging them. Look, there's provision. And it's exciting. And there's an eternal inheritance. There's a livelihood. This is a thrilling thing. And by the way, there is protection in Christ. But you know, there's also some problems that come along the way. So let me help you through the problems a little bit. Uh, let me help you through the persecution. Let me, help, let me help you understand maybe why you're experiencing what you're experiencing to some level. Uh, these happen sometimes. <coughs> the problems, they're no fault of our own. You ever had a problem come into your life and, and it's not your fault? You ever have a problem come into your life and you know whose fault it is and it's not your fault? That's harder. <laughs> it's like, you know, if they would just do right with God, I wouldn't have to deal with it. And it's easy to get bitter with them. Sometimes it's a problem that comes in and, and it's really not anybody's fault, so to speak. It's just a situation. Well, the, the being in the hospital this week, for me, it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just a situation of life. And then sometimes trials come into our life and they're our fault. I don't know about you, I kind of hate those the most because at least if it's nobody's fault, there's nobody to blame. If it's somebody else's fault, I can blame them and be frustrated with them. But when it's my fault, now I'm frustrated with me. <laughs> Why did I do that? If I just wouldn't have made that decision, it wouldn't have led to this. So we have all different kinds of problems and all different kinds of trials. But these are people who are going through a trial. It's no fault of their own. Everyone has these temptations. Everyone has these situations of life. And so Peter, writing to them, he says in verse number 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now here comes, though... So now he's switching gears just a little bit. Though now for a season, if need be, 
you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. The word temptations here, uh, it, it deals with the, <coughs> pardon me, it deals with the normal adversities of life. The normal problems. So in other words, anybody could have a virus attack their heart and go to the hospital and have those situations. It would be a normal situation of life. When you go to work tomorrow and your boss says something in a harsh manner, that's a normal situation of life. Anybody could experience that. When you uh, try to do something and, and it doesn't work and it falls apart and it seems like, uh, you know, the, the whole house is a mess and everything is messed up and, and you're in one of those situations where it just seems like there's a thousand things. Well, everybody has that. They're normal situations of life. When you step down wrong off of a step or you're playing a game of basketball or something and you step wrong and you twist an ankle and, and it hurts and you can barely walk for a few days, it's a normal situation of life. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be mental, it could be any area, and it would be wrapped up in this word temptations. These are just the things that happen as regular parts of life. These things happen to the saved, and these things happen to the unsaved. They happen to us uh, no matter what. Somebody said life is hard when you're serving God or not. Uh, the reality is we all face struggles, and we all face trials, and we all have problems, and, and, and there's situations that we run into, the temptations of life. Uh, these happen at times because of decisions we make, sometimes because of no decision of ours. In other words, we all face certain situations of life that it is a normal thing that that was the outcome of a decision we made. So in other words, if I yell at my wife, and I typically don't, but if I yell at my wife, it is a normal circumstance of life that she is not going to be real pleased with me. Amen? Now, it was a decision I made, but I can't look and say, well, why did God let my wife get mad at me? Well, no, that's a normal response. So there are sometimes decisions we make, but they bring about a normal situation. A lost person who goes through these trials often will open up in a way they normally would not, and we can reach them with the gospel. A saved person who goes through these kind of trials, typically, uh, and, and they can be different levels of severity, but if it's just a normal situation, usually we can look at it and we say, all right, that's kind of a normal thing. We're going through it. All right, it's part of life. It typically is not the place, though it can be, but it's not typically the place where you find great bitterness or you find great questioning of God. Uh, so these are just kind of these normal temptations, uh, these normal trials. And notice what he says about them. He says sometimes they bring about heaviness, especially when there are manifold or many of them. You ever been at a time in life where it just seems like nothing's working and everything is hard? It's good when we go through those times where it just seems like everything's working and nothing's hard. But we spend a lot more time here, don't we? <laughs> nothing's working. Everything's hard. Nobody's happy, happy with me. Work seems difficult. Uh, you know, the kids aren't doing what I'd like for them. To, I mean, nothing just seems to be easy right now. There's manifold temptations. And you know, sometimes it's okay that we're heavy. It's okay that our hearts are hurting. It's okay that there's sadness. And we almost seem to have this idea sometimes like, well, if I'm a good enough Christian, I'll just never have it. No, no, no. He said it here. He said there's this great rejoicing on the one hand, verse number six, because you understand the truths of salvation in Christ. On the other hand, the rest of verse number six, sometimes there's heaviness. Sometimes there's just a struggle in the heart. Sometimes we're going through, and by the way, God's growing us through these things. 
And so don't look at it and say, well, I must not be a good Christian because I have some heaviness. No, he's telling them that is normal. And it's okay to have a struggle. It's okay to go through a stretch of life where there's difficulties. And sometimes these manifold temptations, yes, they're normal parts of life, but we also understand by faith that it's God who's allowing them and bringing them. And we're walking through these, these many different trials that we're in the middle of and struggles we're in the middle of. And, and it just feels like there's a, a weight there. We're, we're laboring through and we're working through and we're being faithful and we're serving God. And, and Peter is writing to these Christians who are struggling And he's saying to them, keep on going, keep on pressing. Hey, there's reasons to rejoice, so keep rejoicing. By the way, rejoicing is a decision, not an emotion. So keep rejoicing, even though for a time you may have some heaviness. So we see these temptations, even manifold temptations, the normal adversities of life. Then he goes into verse number 7. That the trial of your faith, different word. Temptations, those are the normal situations that we all face. But the trials. And notice how he says it here, verse 7, that it's not the trials, it's that the trial. This is a specific. This is honed in. This is no longer just you have many manifold temptations. This is the trial of your faith. This speaks to the things not just that we all encounter on a fairly regular basis that sometimes bring heaviness of the heart or heaviness of the emotions. This speaks very specifically to a temptation, a trial of life that shakes you to the very core of who you are, the very core of your faith. And by the way, if you're saved and serve God long enough, you'll come to some of these. So here's Christian running from their homes, can't get jobs. Husbands who can't figure out how to care for their wives and their children. Families that are disjointed and spread. And they've gathered for this church service. And somebody stands up and says, we have a letter here from Peter. He's telling us we need to rejoice and be joyful. He's telling us about all these provisions in Christ and how good the Lord is. He is telling us there's protection in Christ and you can imagine their minds. Where is it? I believe it, yes, heart level. But I'm struggling to really believe it right now. I'm struggling while I'm walking through this. And then they come down to that word, hey, we all have these manifold problems sometimes we face. Yeah, yeah, we're in that. And then there's the trial that shakes you to the core. And here's a bunch of Christians sitting in front of a pastor who's reading a letter from Peter saying, that's us. We've been shaken to the very core of our being. And, and we know we believe God. We're kind of like that man that said, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. We know he's right. We know he's good. But experientially, emotionally, practically, we're struggling with that. So Peter is bringing it right down to where they are here. Hey, there's some good things. There's reasons to rejoice. God is still good. But within the first chapter, within the first seven verses, 
But while you're going through the trial of your faith, let me give you some help. Let me give you some things that will, will enable you to keep going. That the trial of your faith, uh, these are the difficulties of life that make us begin to question even our deepest held beliefs. As a Christian, these are the things that will strengthen our faith the most if we allow them to. If we don't allow them to, they're the things that will cause us to walk away from God. If you've been in church very long, you've seen both. Somebody that just gets shaken and they don't recover and come back to a place of joy and rejoicing and excitement. They don't, they're not willing to come back to the place of saying, you know, I recognize how good God is and coming back to that, I'm going to be at peace. And by the way, sometimes we all go through the heaviness and sometimes we all go through the shaking. But then we have a decision to make. Will I let that strengthen my faith or will I let it destroy my faith? And what happens is, usually we don't say, yep, I'm going to let it destroy my faith. I'm done with all this. We just don't come back to the place of saying, I can fully trust God, be at peace with whatever he allows. Even if I don't like it, even if it seems like it's not fair, even if it seems like it's not just. I'm just going to be able to trust him with it. And I'll live at peace. And I'll rejoice in his provision and his protection. If we don't come back to there, eventually we just end up falling away. We stray. It doesn't mean we've lost our salvation because that's reliant on him. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Not relying on me. So I don't lose my salvation. What I do lose is my relationship day to day. I lose that joy that can be there. By the way, we all face this. So what do we do when we get to this spot and our, our life has been shaken beyond the point that we ever thought that it could, that everything seems stirred up, that we've come to the place where we've lost our joy, we've lost our thrill in being saved, what do we do? He tells them here that the trial of your faith, now he's going to help them understand it, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. So he says, look, I mean, gold is the most precious thing I can think of to compare to the most precious thing these people will understand as they're hearing this letter read. So look, as precious as gold is, <laughs> it doesn't compare with the trial you're in. This is a blessing. Thanks, Peter. Dad got killed last week. You're saying it's better than gold? Why don't you give me dad and a little bit of gold? <laughs> right? I mean, that's how we think practically. But you know what Peter's saying? In the scope of eternity, this is the best thing possible. And not only that, this trial, it has been filtered by your father. He designed it for you. Now, the things that are temptations, the regular problems of life, are not necessarily specifically designed. We all face them. But when we come to a trial like this, that is a a, a trial of the faith, God designs it. He builds it just for us, and then he entrusts it to us. Do you realize when we go through a serious trial of life, God is entrusting that to us? It's actually one of his biggest blessings. And we can't see it till we're on the other side of it. But when we get to the other side, we can look back like Job did and say, wow, that was better than gold. I mean, if he would give me the choice of gold or the trial, I'm going to choose gold. Right? I don't want to go through the trial. But when I get to the other side of the trial and God says, would you have rather had the gold you would have picked or the trial I gave you, then I can say, no, 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 I want the, I'll take the trial. 
God is good, and I wouldn't change anything about his will once I get through it because I recognize it's actually better than the other stuff. So now he says, look, this trial that God entrusted to you, it's better than gold, being much more precious, not just a little, much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise. So here's why. This is what it does. It's found under the praise and honor and glory. But when? At the appearing. When Jesus comes, we will stand before him. And those who went through these trials and kept serving him and kept being faithful to him, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, well, we could have had some pavement, a little gold. Or we can stand and give an account with joy that we kept serving. And if we get to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, we're going to say, that was better than, better than a little bit of gold. And gold's abundant here, but that isn't. And you know what? That was, that was worthy of praise and glory. This is so much better than anything I could have done or imagined. But I never could have been ready to stand here and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if I hadn't have been faithful in the trial of my faith. Aren't you glad God gives us that opportunity? When we can see it from an eternal perspective, all of a sudden we can say, hey, this is actually a blessing. But when we see it from a temporal perspective, we say, Lord, just let me out. I I don't want to deal with this. So he's helping these people. Here's how you walk through this trial of your faith. You have to walk through it looking to the judgment day. Walk through it recognizing uh, that that someday you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And really this whole life is all just to get ready for that moment. It's really not about comfort, and it's not about anything else. It's not about uh, what I feel or what I want or what makes me happy or or sad. It's not about uh, did did somebody die at a younger age or did they uh, die before I was really ready for them to or did this happen or did that happen. It's not about all that. It's about one thing. Are you ready for judgment day? By the way, you know what the job of the pastor is? It's one thing, helping people get ready for judgment day. It's how can we we come to the place where we can stand and we can see eyeball to eyeball the almighty God of the universe and him look and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I entrusted to you some trials of your faith. And here you are still being faithful and still serving. You know, there's some that will get there that day and God will say, you trusted me as your savior. You made it. You can come in. But they'll never hear those words, well done. They weren't faithful all the way to the very end. Oh, they can go to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But they don't get the same reward. That reward that is far more precious than gold could ever be. I say to you, we can put in the hours, we can work the jobs, we can do all the stuff. But there are a lot of things more precious than gold. But God tells us one of the things that we have to do to have those things more precious than gold is be faithful through the trial of our faith. There's provisions in Christ. Aren't you glad? 
Oh, we have a lively hope. Praise the Lord for that. We have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Praise the Lord for that. I'm glad for the provisions. There's protection in Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He gives us the provisions. He gives us the protection. There's some problems that come even when we're in Christ. We don't like those as much. They don't get as much of a, whoo praise the Lord. But they're real and they're there and we need them. And they're actually entrusted to us as blessings from God. And then we see finally the promise from Christ. This brings us down to verse number 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. First of all, we see here, of course, eternal life. Praise the Lord for eternal life. Amen? I'm glad that's not all there is to salvation, but I'm sure glad that's a part of salvation. We have eternal life. But then notice what else he says here. The end of your faith. He promises us that we're not just going to have eternal life, that we're going to have the end of our faith. So what does that mean? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The end of our faith is when Jesus is no longer and heaven is no longer not seen. We don't need faith. Now we have experience. We don't need faith because now we can see him face to face and we can see the holes in his hands and his feet and his side. And now we can walk on the streets of gold and we can live in the mansion. Now it's no longer by faith. Faith has come to an end. Now we're living by sight. Won't that be a wonderful day? Oh, I'm glad he has a job for us while we're here. I'm glad he doesn't say, uh, just hurry up and get here as fast as you can. I'm glad that's not it. But I'm also glad that I know one day the end of faith is coming. And I'll see with sight. And I'll serve with sight. Praise the Lord for that. That is the promise that is coming when faith is no longer needed because now we can actually see that which we had to have faith for until we got there. (laughs) Won't it be a day when we get there? So this morning, I just want to encourage you. Have you thought through the benefits of your salvation? Have you thought through the benefit of the provision in Christ? The benefit of the protection in Christ. Yes, even the benefit of the problems that come when we're in Christ. Have you thanked him for those things? Be thankful for everything. Have you thanked him for those problems, those trials, that trial of your faith? Those situations you're in the middle of that bring some, sometimes manifold, that bring that heaviness and sorrow. Have you thanked him for those? Have you gotten to the place where you're not just saying thank you, but you're truly grateful at a heart level that God is entrusting those trials so that you can grow closer to him through them? Are you thankful for the problems? Are you as thankful for the problems as the provisions? And then we can say, all right, Lord, we're looking forward to that day when we get to see the promise fulfilled and see you face to face. Are you ready? Are you preparing for the judgment seat? Father, we love you. Thank you for how good you are. We thank you for the promises that we have here in this passage. What an incredible passage about salvation and just the reality of life. We all go through these trials and these hardships and and sometimes they seem unfair. And yet, Lord, we understand that you only allow them for our good, for our benefit, for our blessing and so that you can receive greater praise and greater glory. And Lord, it is our privilege to bring praise and glory to you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the joy of being able to serve you. And I pray now that you'd help each one of us to be responsive to you this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.